welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. are starting a new series called Flawed But Fly, and uh, I'm not going to escape out of anything, but I'm actually going to do a lie detector test. How many are excited about that? All right. In this, in this series, we're uh, trying to help people to look at the flaws in their own life, in, uh, in the people in the Bible. We're looking at the flaws in the local church. We're looking at the flaws and, and the things that still can make it amazing. And so we thought we'd start it out with a little honesty and a little... Uh, uh, lie detector test here, so I'm going to get all situated. Right after this, we're going to call for volunteers, and uh, we're going to see how much you love the church, and a couple of deacons are going to come up and talk about kingdom builders. It'll be great, so uh, all right. All right, we're going to start off things here with a uh, few warm-up questions, just make sure everything's working fine. All right. So, is your name... Robert Ketterling. Yes. Off to a good start. Are you the pastor of River Valley Church? Yes. Yes, you are. Are you 38 years old? Yes. (laughs) All right, things seem to be working fine here. Let's start with the real questions. All right. Do you ever feel lonely? Yes. Have you ever officiated a wedding you wish you hadn't? Yes. Have you ever wished you could spend the whole summer up at your cabin? Yes. I'd have to have a cabin, though, to do that, but... (laughs) Have you ever said a swear word? No. (laughs) Have you ever hoped that someone would go to a different church? Yes. (laughs) Have you ever gone on a hospital visit you wish you didn't have to go on? Yes. Does Becca pick out most of your clothes? Yes. (laughs) Have you ever regretted wearing a certain outfit? Never. (laughs) Says he's telling the truth. Has a decision you've made for this church ever gone wrong? Yes. 
Have you ever doubted God? Yes. And have you ever let the fear of failure keep you from doing something you know you should do? Yes. All right. Well, I think we're done here. Thank you for your time, Pastor Ketterling. All right. Thank you. I really enjoyed this. Really a lot of fun. (laughs) All right. Let's give it up for our doctor here. Oh, man. I'm going to be terrified to actually have one of those on you. Yeah. Serious. We're going to tell the truth here about some things, about some things that really look flawed but really are amazing. We're going to tell the truth about the local church. Uh, going to have some confessions here. We're going to tell some truth about things that are flawed, and it's an amazing thing to be transparent and honest. It really is. And uh, I think about, you know, flawed but fly. We are flawed, but there's something amazing about people, and there's something amazing about the local church. And yet you look at all the flaws that we have, and we look at all the flaws that are in the Bible, of, of people that are in the Bible, and you think, why would that be in there? Why would that be in there? Why would God put stories in the Bible that show flaws of people? Why would he do that? You think about it. When, when I think about how we live in social media, we always say, like, life is great, got to knew this, got to knew that, everything's wonderful, I don't even burn the toast, it's amazing, life is so good. Matter of fact, when we were prepping for the questions for the lie detector test, they said, um, they said actually, like, Pastor, have you ever swore? And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I have, I'm ashamed of things that have come out of my mouth. And they're like, okay, because how many know that sometimes you look at people and you're like, oh, they're perfect. They're perfect. They never have anything bad. Well, they never, and you think about going to church. Well, I could never go there because everybody's perfect and, and they would never, ever, ever say that they're flawed. And yet we put out all these good, neat, clean, precise, just perfect images of ourselves. But God somehow put in his word in the Bible things that were showing us that people were flawed. He was showing us that there's hope to everyone. No matter how bad you are, there's hope. And when you think about it, God knew this, that within human nature, we have a problem connecting with people if they appear to be too perfect, if they appear to have no flaws. And we just think, I, I can't even be around you. I can't, I can't relate to you. Matter of fact, no matter who runs for president, no matter who they are, I don't care if they're a gazillionaire and they're the most successful person in the world, they will somehow go back and try to convince you and I that they're just like us. Maybe they haven't eaten at McDonald's in 20 years, but they'll be like, I love these big Maccas. They're amazing, you know. They'll do whatever they can to show you, I'm just like you. I'm flawed. These are my issues because we just can't relate to people that don't have flaws. So God in his wisdom put that in there. But seriously, when I share some of the stories that we're going to hear today, I even wonder like, wow, Lord, why did you put that one in there? Why that one? Why that one? And then I realized there's so many things that go on in this world, there has to be a reason. So I'm going to just go and do a jet tour right through Genesis, okay? And then we'll look at a couple other stories. But real quick, Genesis, first book of the Bible. If you have a Bible, you can open open it up to Genesis chapter 3. We have the creation account, and we have the first marriage of Adam and Eve. Right away in the very first marriage with Adam and Eve, we have disobedience, we have deception, we have lying, and we have a couple that gets evicted right away. 
I mean, so if you have ever been evicted or foreclosed upon, come on, you got something in common with Adam and Eve. There's hope for you. It's right there. And it's an amazing thing that Adam just couldn't follow the directions. God's like, don't eat this one, eat all these. You got that? Yes. Okay, don't eat this one. You can eat all these. Got it. Can't do it. Can't obey it. And ever since then, how many know that men have been struggling with directions? How many know that? <laughs> it's true. It's like it's part of the fall. You go to the next chapter, Genesis chapter 4. You've got the first family, Genesis chapter 4. And you've got two boys, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, they're in this sibling rivalry, and one kills the other. I mean, why would God put that in there? This is the first family. This is something, the institution that he created, marriage and family. And yet he's saying the first one, they're liars, disobedient, I had to evict them. And then their kids, they're killing each other. This is right there for all of us to see. You go just a few more chapters to Genesis chapter 6. And this is what the Bible says. It only goes six chapters in. And all of a sudden, this is what it says. God saw that human evil was out of control. People thought evil, imagined evil. Evil, evil, evil from morning to night. God was sorry that he had made the human race in the first place. It broke his heart. God said, I'll get rid of my ruined creation, make a clean sweep. People, animals, snakes, and bugs, birds, the works. I'm sorry I made them, but Noah was different. God liked what he saw in Noah. Six chapters. We've got perfect family in creation. They blow it, lie. Then the family, we've got murder. Within six chapters, all of a sudden, evil, evil, evil. Everybody's evil except for Noah and his family. Noah finds favor in the eyes of the Lord. God causes them to build an ark, and many people decorate their baby nurseries with arks and animals. And before you get too excited about Noah, Genesis 9 comes along. Noah, a farmer, was the first to plant a vineyard. He drank from its wine, got drunk, and passed out naked in his tent. <laughs> Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that his father was naked, told his two brothers who were outside the tent, Shem and Japheth, took a cloak, they held it between them from their shoulders, they walked backward and covered their father's nakedness, keeping their faces turned away so they did not see their father's exposed body. So here you got Noah having favor in the eyes of the Lord. Then chapter 9 comes along, and we find out he's a drunk zookeeper. He's going all royal Prince Harry naked, you know what I'm saying? And how many are glad that, you know, we didn't have Twitter back in the day, you know? Here's Noah in his tent, passed out, you know? Oh, boy. Man, why would God put that in there? There's a story there, and you're thinking, seriously, why is that there? Genesis chapter 12, God picks Abraham. God says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. You're going to be blessed. You're going to have an amazing life. You're going to follow me. You're, one of, you're my chosen person. I'm going to have this whole race. come. It's going to be amazing. The whole redemption is going to come through your line. It's going to be amazing. He's like so excited. No kid is on the way. No kid, no kid. And so finally his wife Sarah says, well, you know, if you want, you could sleep with my servant and then she'll have a baby, and that'll be our baby. Because they didn't have in vitro fertilization back then, but they, what they would do is they would take their servants, and they would say, my servant can have a baby with you, and then that will be my baby. So Sarah goes along with this and says, all right, let's do this. Abraham, again, not able to follow directions from God, is like, okay, you know, and he does it. <laughs> then Sarah says, okay, I, I'm jealous of this. I don't like the fact that she's going to have the baby. Kick her out. So he's like, okay, you got to go. And then Sarah's like, wait a minute. I want a baby. Bring her back. Okay, you can come back. Then she has a baby. 
Then Sarah has a baby that's a miraculous baby, and she's like, okay, now that we both have babies, kick her out. Man, this is like crazy housewives of whatever zip code. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) In, out, go, back, sleep with her, don't sleep. No, no, yeah. I mean, think about this. And God puts this in the story for us. In the midst of this, God like breaks away from the action of Abraham and covers a story about Lot. Now, like a good movie, I like a good movie where there's this plot going and then they go over here to this side little story and then they come back to this. I like that kind of thing. And that's what Genesis does. But again, when they go to the side story, it's really embarrassing. It's really embarrassing. Here's Lot and his family. They're disobedient to God and they're supposed to be following God. And so Lot's two daughters can't get married. They're in a remote area and they think, we have nobody to marry us. We don't know what we're going to do. So they, they hatch up this plan. You know what we'll do? We'll get our dad drunk and then we'll sleep with our dad and get pregnant so we can have kids. Why would God put that in there? And all of a sudden they give birth to Moab and Ammon who become the Moabites and the Ammonites and they become enemies of the Israelites forever and ever. And yet it's in there and you're thinking, Lord, why would you put incest in there? And let me be very clear, God condemns incest. God condemns it. It is never appropriate and yet it's in there. And you think, Lord, if there's one that we would skip, that's definitely a skippable chapter. Why put that story in there? But maybe you've been a victim of that. And all of a sudden you see, wait a minute, that's in the story. There's more. I mean, there's more. But seriously, what type of God puts that in the story? In Genesis 27 through 50, I don't have time to go through all of it, but I'll just summarize it. We have lying of a wife to a husband, a dad to a father, a mother to her son, a daughter to her dad. I mean, we have all this going on. We have theft going on. We have attempted murder. We have stealing a brother into slavery, uh, selling him into uh, slavery. We have them lying to their dad that his favorite son is dead. We have all these things, all these conspiracies going on. We have a lady that steals from her dad and her dad comes in to see like, hey honey, I'm trying to see where my stolen goods are. And she's sitting on them on a pile of pillows and all his stolen goods. And she's like, dad, it's that time of the month. And you know, I'm a lady, please don't make me move. And he's like, okay, don't move, you stay there. And she's sitting on all the stolen items and she's using that she's a woman to steal from her dad. God's putting all that in the story. And as I read this, I'm just thinking like, what kind of God puts this in the story? What kind of religion says, oh, here's all the bad things. Here's all the terrible, rotten things. And here's all these things that are horrible about us. We go to the book of Judges. And I just want to point out a couple things. The book of Judges really could be called the book of generals. Okay, when we think of judge, we think of somebody with a robe, you know, guilty, not guilty, you know, hammer, you know, okay, not the case. Theirs was, you're going to be a judge, you're going to be a ruler, you're going to be somebody that's going to take my people out of being oppressed and you're going to lead the military attack. So it really could be almost like the book of generals, okay? So in Judges chapter 6, God speaks to Gideon. And he says, Gideon, you are uh, an amazing man of valor. You are a mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, me? I'm, I'm an amazing man. I'm an amazing warrior. And think about it. God's saying, here's the guy I picked, and he second guesses me. The guy that I picked second guesses me. And so they're there, and God is speaking with Gideon, and Gideon makes a meal, and God touches the meal with fire, and the whole thing gets consumed, does a miraculous thing right in front. Gideon is terrified you know, because God has just caused everything to be burned up. And he's like, oh my goodness, I've just come face to face with God. This is incredible. 
And then he's like, okay, God, I'm not sure if you really were saying that I should go into battle and that I should obey you, so can I do a couple of tests? Can I just tell you something? If God lights something on fire, you're good to go. Okay, you're just good to go, all right? But not Gideon, not Gideon. And God puts it in there. Here God's saying, I'm picking you, and then Gideon's like, I doubt you. So he says, what, what I want to do, God, is I want to take this wool fleece and I want to lay it down on the ground. And, and if you do this overnight, if that could be wet and the ground would be dry, that would be great. When I wake up in the morning, I'll know you're God and you really want me to do it. And the amazing thing is God does it. And then Gideon must have been thinking something logical like this, like, wait a minute. What if somebody just spilled water on that and the ground was dry and that was wet? That's way too easy for God. Or like an accident. That could be an accident. Okay, God, humor me. I would like to do this. I'll put the fleece out again, a dry one, and make sure that it's dry and everything else is soaked, okay? And if you do that, then I'll really know that you... And, and again, God's like, okay, I'll do this. And he does it. And I, and I just think, why would God put that in the story? I picked you. You're the mighty man. You're the hero. You're the general. You're leading the country. I picked you. And you doubt me. Thank you. God has a way of getting back, though. How many know that? You know, Gideon's like got his army like, God, we're outnumbered. We really pray. Yeah. How many times did you doubt me? Okay. So let's cut your troops down once. Okay, cut it down. Oh, yeah, but you doubted me twice, right? Let's cut them down again, all right? God has a way of getting back in that and let you understand that he's in charge and he's in control. In Judges chapters 14 through 16, we have a guy by the name of Samson. Again, a general that God picked. And this guy goes from stud to dud in a matter of three chapters. Think about it. This guy goes from man of faith to a guy with weakness for women. He goes from a man of prayer to a man with an anger problem. He goes from a leader of a nation that sleeps with another nation. He goes from a man of God to somebody who has no common sense. He goes to somebody empowered by the Spirit to somebody driven by the flesh. And God puts that in there. I would have skipped this guy. I would have skipped this because this guy had a problem. One moment, and it wasn't lust. Some people think, well, that guy, he's a man. It was his problem. No, 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 no. His problem was his emotions. One moment he's up here, God's on the throne. The next minute he's angry at everybody, wants to take matters into his own hand. One minute he's ready to obey God because he's chosen. The next minute he's disobeying and he's back and forth and back and forth. And I know that some of us live that way. In that question, they asked me, have you ever doubted God? Yeah. Yeah, there were moments that I just didn't know. Do I doubt God today? No. But you know what? There were days that I was like, God, is this real? Are you there? And God put that in the story. There's another one that I just have to go back to in Genesis. Tamar. Tamar, and this one's important. In Genesis 38, there's a lady by the name of Tamar. She's married to a guy and her husband dies. Okay, at that moment, she's no longer responsible to her husband, but she's now responsible to her father-in-law because of their customs. He now took over for her life. And she's like, thank you, uh, Judah. I would like to be married to somebody. So if you could give me away in marriage to somebody, that'd be great. Well, he doesn't do it. She's like, I want to be married. I'd like to be married. I want to have kids. That, I, that's what I'd like to do. He won't do it. So she decides to take matters into her own hands. She dresses up like a prostitute and goes and seduces her father-in-law, sleeps with him and becomes pregnant and brings forth somebody that is in the line of Jesus, that's in his family tree. Because maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but there used to be an old song, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. 
talking about Jesus. Jesus comes from that relationship. Now you would think, why would God put that in there? Why would he put a story about in, in, in a form of incest in a way? It was the father-in-law, not directly related, but creepy enough that you don't want to read that story to your kids, right? You know? Yeah, she seduced the father-in-law. Yeah. Good night, kids. <laughs> Sleep well. Yeah. That's not good. And it's in there. You know why? Because God was speaking to people that would be self-righteous. And he knew that after a while, if we walked with him, we'd start to think that we're pretty good. And he knew that when Matthew would write the Gospel of Matthew, that Matthew would put that story in there, and anyone that was thinking, well, we're pretty good. God was pretty smart to pick somebody like us. All of a sudden, they would look, and they'd say, oh, yeah, we're flawed. The whole line is flawed. We're all in trouble. We are a bunch of messed up people. And all of a sudden, God's amazing grace is on display like never before. And some of you start to think, you know, well, I've been a Christian for all these years, and we've gotten rid of all these little things, and we don't do this anymore, and this, and this, and this, and our family's all cleaned up. And when we go to the family reunion, we thank God we're saved, and, you know, and we don't look like the other ones in the family. Praise the Lord. You know what? That's just self-righteousness. It was grace that got you in. It was only grace. The only reason that your branch of the family tree looks different than anybody else is because of grace. And I want to tell you something. When you read the stories of the Bible, and I've got this figured out now, the reason why they're all there is because you look at them, and you read them, and your lip curls, and your stomach turns over, and you skip some of the stories, and you're not excited about them. But every time you see somebody that's flawed, you know what you could say? Thank God for grace. Every time you read the stories in the Bible, it's supposed to be something where you just look and you go, God, you are just amazing. You are amazing. We are messed up. And yet you take messed up people and you use them for your glory. You are incredible. And every time, every time, don't skip over the messed up stories. Read them. Read them and realize God is amazing and we are messed up. Romans 5, 20 and 21 says, all the passing laws did uh, against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. Man, I love that. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. And I love what it also says, that it's aggressive forgiveness. I thank God that he has aggressive forgiveness for us. That he says, I have aggressive forgiveness. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down every time. And whenever sin hits its high watermark, grace goes above that. Grace goes above that. All of a sudden it goes above that. And it says, you know what? Sin can go here, but grace goes higher. I love what one translation, it says, where sin abounds, grace superabounds. Man, some of you need to hear that. Superabounding grace is in your life when you give your life to Jesus Christ. You were flawed, but superabounding grace can cover up any flaw. And I think it's amazing that pretty much anything that could be done is put in the Bible. And he's like, see all those flaws? And yet I still was able to use those people. One translation says, though sin is shown to be wide and deep, thank God his grace is wider and deeper still. Man, I love that. I love that. The hero is God, and the Apostle Paul confirms that. In 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. 
Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish thing of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. God loves to choose people that are last. Can I tell you this? God loves to pick losers. It means you're a big loser. It's hard to hear, isn't it? God didn't pick you because you were all that. God picked you because you were a loser. And you got in on grace because you were a loser. And we don't even like hearing that. And, I, and I'm a double loser, okay? Because I got in on grace, and he said, I love to pick people that are just flawed and losers, and then they follow me. And then he's like, then I like to have some of those big losers become preachers so that they can confound smart people. I use dumb preachers. Thank you, Lord. Appreciate that. Yeah. Confound the wise through me. Thank you. Seriously. That's what he says. You're all flawed. All of us are flawed. Now, let me tell you why just a tinge, just a tinge that bothers us to hear that we're losers. Just a tinge, and here's why. On the scale of things, we are in the global 1%. Everyone here is pretty much a one percenter. I will guarantee you that. Okay, if you are in our church, you are in all likelihood a global one percenter. What do I mean by that? You are of the richest one percent in the entire world. Okay, I'm not talking about Occupy Wall Street. I'm talking about on the global scale. You are one of the richest one percent. For some reason, God has chosen to save us and to give us this great message, and we've received it. We're still losers, but we're in the top bracket of losers. Okay. Now, and I tell you, I'm still wrapping my arms and my mind around this. There's some reason he wanted you in the kingdom, and it wasn't so you could just be a consumer, okay? Because if you go around the world, it's the poorest of the poor and the weakest of the weak, and the gospel flourishes there, and the rich shun God in many countries. But here we are in this country with a unique opportunity to be amongst the world's 1% richest people in the entire world, and yet God has given us grace, and most people that are in our place would push away the grace of God because we would start thinking that we're all that. And somehow God has shown us that we're not all that, that the world's achievements don't matter, but we are still losers. And maybe because after chasing after all the things the world had to offer, we realized that it was empty, and it just made us more flawed. And all of a sudden now grace has come to us and he's saying, I want you to go out as a 1% loser and I want you to bring my grace to this world. Much has been given to us. Much has been given to us and for some reason that message has resonated with us. Let's not waste it. Let's not waste it. God loves to pick losers. God loves to pick people that are flawed. God loves to pick people like that and say, you know what? I understand that you think you are so messed up and you're right, but grace can cover messed up, flawed people. Flawed people can become fly. Flawed people can become amazing, not because of what they've done, but because of grace. And if I could say something to people that are new to the church or you're just trying to figure this out, maybe you're watching online or something and you're trying to figure this all out, 
you look around the church and you think, boy, these people got it all together. They're all amazing. And I'm so messed up. I'm so bad. We don't have time to go through all the stories. We don't have time to go through all the stories of what people were and what they were into and what they were involved with. And God's like, you know what? I will take your flawed person and I will move you because of grace. I will change you because of grace. And you look around, you don't know their stories. And you know what? As pastor, I hear a lot of the stories. And I tell some of the people, I say, you know what? You should use that someday. And most of the times people are like, I don't even want to put that chapter in the book. I don't, it's so dark, I don't want to even put it in the book. And I say, you know what? Maybe there'll be a day that God can take your flaws and use them for his glory and for his honor. You can show the grace of God by saying, I was this flawed and now grace was applied and now I'm only good because of grace. But if you're here and you're saying, oh, these people are perfect, these people are perfect, these people are perfect, let me tell you again, let me ask that same question I've been asking the whole time. What kind of God would put those things in the story? What kind of religion would put those things in the story? And I'll tell you this, you know what it is? It's a God that says, I want you in the story. I want you in the story. There's room for you. There's flawed people, and they became amazing because of grace. And you are a flawed person, and you've come so short of God's glory. And he says, you're flawed, but I want you in the story. And that's why I put all those things in there, so that you'd know there's room for you in the story. God loves it. We don't deserve to be put in the story. We receive grace, and it super abounds to us. But that's the way to get into the story. And some of you don't know how to get in the story, and I'm going to give you an opportunity here at all the campuses and online, on TV, we're going to give you an opportunity to get into the story. And I'd like to ask that you'd bow your heads and close your eyes. It's really easy. We sit here with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and we realize and we know that we are flawed. No one has to tell us the things that we're ashamed of. No one has to tell us the things that we wish would never be in our story. But we know them. And right now, the Holy Spirit will make that very real to you. And you'll know them. You'll feel it. You'll know what those things are, those flaws. And God says, I will forgive you of your flaws if you will simply accept my son Jesus, if you will simply accept that he came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for you so you could be forgiven of your sins. He rose again from the dead to prove that all of his promises are true. And he says he's preparing a place for us in heaven. But he says, I welcome flawed people. I welcome people that have things that are wrong with them. And I say, welcome, welcome, welcome. This is your opportunity to receive Jesus as your Savior. This is the moment now where flawed people can say, will he welcome me in? And I would say, yes, he will. This is the moment where if you're doubting right now, you're wondering, do I know, do I know, do I know? If you have never asked God to forgive you of your sins, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and look up at me. I'll acknowledge it and then you can put it down. I will not embarrass you but I would love to have you come in on grace. All the people around you are praying for you right now. They are cheering for you right now under their breath. They are flawed people that have found grace and they're praying, God, I pray that flawed people will come into a right relationship with you and they are pulling for you right now. And if that's you and you want to be included in the closing prayer all across this place, would you go ahead and raise your hand and look up at me and I would acknowledge that? Yes, I see your hand. Other others, yes, I see your hand. Yes, yes, yes. You're flawed, but God will make you forgiven and amazing. Yes, yes. Are there others? Yes, yes. Yes, I see your hand. Yes, yes, I see your hand. Others that would say, I know I'm flawed, but I want to be forgiven. 
Yes, you can put yours down. That's perfect. Perfect. Are there any others that say you're struggling? You're still struggling. You're like, could he really? Yes, yes, yes. There's more that are going up. This is great. He can, he can, he can. You're thinking, but what about this? What about incest? What about adultery? What about murder? Pastor, I'm a felon. Man, the Bible is full of people that would have been felons, that were forgiven. The answer is yes. Grace can be applied. You're flawed, but God will give you grace. Is there anyone that would say, I want in. Before we end this, before we pray the prayer, I'm in. This is my moment. This is my moment. Yes, yes, yes. So good. You can put your hands down all across this place. And I'm going to pray this prayer and ask God to forgive you. And I'm going to ask that you would pray this prayer after me. I'll pray it. You repeat it. And the Bible says, if you'll pray this, believe it in your heart, you'll be forgiven. It's a simple prayer, but it's a way to be forgiven. And I'm going to pray it. You're going to repeat it after me out loud. And a bunch of flawed people that have already been forgiven are going to pray it with you just as a form of encouragement, all right? So let's pray this. Dear Lord Jesus, I am sorry for my sins and all that I've done wrong. I'm flawed and I need to be forgiven. Please forgive me and give me grace. You died on the cross and rose again so I could be forgiven and I receive that. I turn to you and pledge to live for you for the rest of my life. Give me the strength to live for you. So God, I thank you for those that prayed that simple prayer. They prayed it. They meant it. They asked you to forgive them. And I pray that they'd realize right now they were flawed, but grace has covered their flaws. They were sinners, but God has covered their sins because of the grace of Jesus Christ. I pray that you'd speak to the one that feels like they were the greatest sinner. How could they be forgiven? That they would know that they would know that they would know that they're forgiven. There's nothing that can't be forgiven on that list. And I pray, God, that they would know that they can be forgiven in Jesus' name. And the prayer they prayed was real. No matter what the enemy says to them, it was real. They're forgiven. They're forgiven. They're forgiven. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Can we thank God for those people that gave their life to the Lord?